Hello everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Global Intelligence Tech Disruptors podcast. My name is Anurag Rana and I'm a technology analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research arm. We're happy to have Postman's co-founder and CEO Abhinav Vastana as our guest today. Postman is right in the center of an API-first economy and I'm excited to learn more about this space. Um, Abhinav, welcome to the podcast. You know, could you please start with give, giving us a little bit of a background of yourself and what led you to start Postman? Thanks for having me here, Anurag. I'm very excited. So, as you said, you know, I'm Abhinav, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Postman, but, you know, for most of my life, I actually was a developer. So, I grew up in India. Uh, you know, my dad bought our first computer at home and uh, I got hooked on to programming from a very early days. I soon moved on from writing you know, Visual Basic, you know, on the whole Microsoft stack to web programming through more open source tools like PHP, Python, and, you know, soon uh, started building web apps. Uh, so all of that experience and that uh, enthusiasm I had took me to uh, an internship at Yahoo, where uh, I built, you know, kind of uh, a front-end application for Yahoo, and this was back in 2010, and Yahoo was a big company back then. And, you know, they had lots of systems. They all had to talk to each other. And, uh, you know, you had to share. What I learned was uh, APIs. So you had to work with APIs that somebody else was creating. And that's how these large systems came about. And, uh, you know, I learned that uh, working with APIs, along with my co-founder, Ankit, who, who I met uh, at Yahoo, was, you know, it was a big pain. You had to struggle a lot. You had to collaborate a lot with other developers and all of that collaboration, all that work was very hard, which led to often brittle software. So the software that we'd build would break in production and we'd not understand because it dependent on, it was dependent on many APIs, you know, across the enterprise at Yahoo. And, uh, you know, I carried that experience with me to start my first company after college. So, you know, I didn't uh, end up having a formal job. I started uh, a mobile app company and at that time, iOS was just kind of, you know, on the upswing. The mobile apps were were uh, becoming big. And we thought that, you know, we could create a great virtual reality experience. That was our vision, maybe 10 years too early. So we started building that up and we found out that we had to now deliver an experience over I- iOS, Android, and uh, of course, the web. And I learned that, okay, even if you're a small company, you still have to build APIs. And I found the same problems again with a very small, you know, development team. So, you know, I put two and two together. I realized that uh, this was a common problem. I started hacking on Postman on the side. And, you know, I just put this project out uh, in the open. And I learned that developers all across the world had this uh, challenge. And the project soon, you know, kind of became a product. And it grew to about half a million users on the Chrome Web Store. I quit that company and eventually started Postman in 2014. I know that is very exciting. You know, one of the things that we do a lot on this on the on the podcast is look at disruptors. That's really the core of what we do. So perhaps can you de- do a little deep dive and tell us what particular industry Postman is disrupting? Now, is this a brand new category in software, or is it something that's been around that you are, you know? figuring out a way to do things in a newer way. So the way we think about it, Anurag, is that it's an evolution of, or a big evolution of what used to be called API management a while ago. So uh, API management in its existing form was basically this idea of putting a gateway in front of your data assets and putting APIs 
uh, in front of it. Now, what we realized was, uh, you know, from our viewpoint was that APIs are the building blocks of all composable software. So if you're buying applications, you know, from any of the big vendors, you are, you know, using the S3 API, you're using Stripe, you're using Twilio, uh, or if you are even building any application, which is, you know, on the web, or it's uh, of any moderate, moderately, you know, useful use case, you are basically building APIs. You are, you know, that an application in, in today's modern world is composed of a combination of distinct APIs. Uh, so, you know, the way we looked at the world was, you know, this is just going to change the way modern software is developed. Uh, it was very early back then. Most most of the world was still in the world of applications first and APIs last. And the way we think about it is that, you know, today's modern economy demands that you are API first. And of course, applications are a key part of it. So from that vantage point, you know, API management is a very uh, you know, small category, but, you know, the world of APIs is much, much larger. Uh, so we believe that First, that change has already taken place in a big way, whether you take the trends of cloud, mobile, and now AI, you know, APIs are at the center of it. And then we have a very unique vantage point of being uh, very developer-focused. The Postman has more than 25 million developers and growing, you know, signed up on the platform. You know, we track every industry, every uh, sector. We have customers and, you know, as many companies as we can sell in, and APIs are at the you know, common denominator in every tech stack, whether you are modernizing your software stack or you're building new technology, APIs are at the center of it. So, you know, we believe that this is, uh, you know, just just a fundamentally new abstraction layer on which the developers of tomorrow will build software and Postman is powering all of that. That's a very good uh, point, I mean, and, and perhaps, you know, for somebody like myself who hasn't built any software in probably 20 years, you know, in the old days, it at least I used to think what, you know, you were giving some tools and you will develop a software and it will remain in a kind of a closed ecosystem, the hardware, and then just, just, you know, signals go back and forth and work. But it seems to me in a digital first world, you have, you know, APIs going through all sorts of different sources into a particular application and, and that's how it works. Just from a, you know, from a logical point of view, how do you or, you know, how does anybody... If, you know, ensure that, you know, there is, these things are pretty secure. I, I'm, I'm very curious as to how that framework works. Yeah. I mean, security in itself is, is a whole, you know, podcast in and of itself. But I think first uh, I would like to address just like why that is happening and the complexity, uh, you know, that happens in, in, in today's world and why, you know, this is just a kind of a fundamental reality, right? And security, of course, is a key aspect of you know, making sure that any application you build, like even if you build a monolithic application, you know, it's secure. Uh, so we'll come to security in a second. But I think, you know, the reason, Anurag, right, since like the early days of programming, when I used to program, uh, you know, on desktop applications, right? If you remember, you'd have the Win32 API or you'd have like Linux APIs and you were primarily, you know, building a self-contained application, which is writing through local APIs. And what's happened is that because of consumer demands, you know, I need to log in into my mobile device and access my data, and I need the same data, you know, on uh, on the web. You know, I have enterprise applications that collaboratively many, many people are using, you know, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of people are using together. You know, there are data requirements to process that data and show new insights. So all of that has resulted in, you know, new demands on developers where new application is self-contained. It has its data that's distributed. It has compute that's distributed. 
And you know what? What we realized was, you know, Salesforce was an early pioneer in that. That I don't have to build everything myself. Like you know, I would have to go and incorporate uh, you know the best of breed of technology in a particular domain because I can't hire every developer in my company. You know, for example, right? So if I want to use payments, I go to Stripe or PayPal. You know, and incorporate their payment technology. You know, if I want to go use cloud infrastructure, you know, S3 was the first, you know, uh, API for storage, and I just don't have to think about, you know, uh, storage anymore. So what has that left to, in, you know, uh, uh, what has what, what now developers do is, you know, they have a new form of composable thinking. What you used to think about was in terms of libraries and modules. You know, now it's like I'm thinking in terms of APIs, and I get, you know, massive advantage with go-to-market, efficiency, you know, I can prototype faster, I can scale faster. And and that's just, you know, how modern software works today. Now, when it comes to security is, you know, you need to secure, you know, on both sides of the equation, you need to secure your application, you need to make sure that the API that you're designing, you know, is not exposing any data inadvertently, you know, like your applications are talking about the network, whether you like it or not. So there is always an API. So most of the time when I come down to CIO, CDOs, they're like, I have one API. And I'm like, no, all the stuff that you're building has APIs. You just don't know it yet because you've thought of them as applications. So you need to make sure that anything that is open, it's leaving the boundary of the computer has a well-defined contract. And these are typically API endpoints. You know, like when you type in a URL on the web, that's basically equivalent to an API endpoint, right? So if an endpoint is exposed, it could take all the data that is, you know, in a database, it's an unsecured API. So... Uh, you know, there are specific access rules you need to set. You need to, you know, define the parameter. Uh, who are the actors who would want to have access to that API? In some cases, companies have internal APIs, which are only available for developers and applications within the walls of a company. Some companies have partner APIs. So, in fact, Bloomberg is an example. Uh, you know, you, you probably are, you know, uh, you have powerful APIs yourself. You're sharing with financial institutions around the world and you have specific partnerships around it. And then you have public KPIs, which are meant for third-party developers. So across these three layers of APIs, there are different security and access control requirements that, uh, you know, uh, developers have to set. Is it safe for me to assume that pretty much, you know, close to 100% of the applications that have been built, uh, you know, in the last uh, not seven, eight years, are all driven with this API-first concept? Yeah, I think, uh, I wouldn't say their API-first concept has percolated just yet. I think the best-of-breed companies are building with an API-first mindset today. But yeah, applications built over the last decade all have APIs, except probably your clock or your calculator. Your weather app on your iPhone has APIs. You know, that's that's how it gets the weather. So perhaps then, then you know, this is, this is getting very exciting for me. And, and again, let's say... If, Let's say, you know, you start building a new application today. So perhaps just walk me through what is this life cycle? How do you go about it? You know, uh, you know, you said something about you don't bring in the API in the end of a, you know, prototype. You just start with it. Perhaps, you know, you could teach us if, you know, again, I, I don't know. Let's let's take a theoretical app and see if you can walk me through how, how that works. Uh, you know, there is a typical DevOps uh, life cycle of, you know, uh, planning, designing, uh, iteration, deploying, and then continuous operation of that application. Like I would probably describe the API life cycle the way we see it. So with the assumption that most applications have APIs, you know, where typically the journey starts with is designing, 
uh, you know, the API, which means understanding what are your relevant stakeholders for that application. How is the application going to be consumed? And APIs are now a critical part of it. So which data you're going to be exposing? What are the compute capabilities you're going to be expo exposing? Uh, so that goes in the design phase, uh, which is where product managers, business stakeholders are involved in the best of breed companies. Unless, by the way, one very exciting trend that we see is that API itself is the whole product. So with companies, again, like Stripe or Twilio, that API is the whole product which you are actively monetizing. So you look at monetizable characteristics of the API as well. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, then you go to developing the application, developing the API, which means writing code, debugging that uh, API, making sure that works properly, testing, which is where your quality team, your reliability teams are involved to make sure that the uh, API, when it hits production servers, it's working reliably, you know, ship the, uh, ship the API. And, you know, there's certain operational constructs that you need to make sure that, you know, the API is working, uh, you're observing traffic and everything's good to go. Then, you know, most of the time we see if it's a partner API or a public API, you have to work on distribution of your API to make sure that it reaches relevant stakeholders. And that's where, you know, uh, once you start getting feedback, you go back to the cycle and, uh, you know, continuously iterate on your API. Now, this is what we call the producer cycle, producer life cycle. This intersects with the consumer life cycle of APIs, where consumers discover that an API exists for my need. They test out the API, they validate it for their requirements, they integrate the API in their application, they deploy their particular application, and then again, give feedback to producers. So, uh, in all of that happens, uh, you know, on a platform, which is, of course, what Postman provides. But these are the way, this is the way we see the producer and the consumer life cycle. You know, one of the things I was intrigued by, and again, you know, this is where I'm, I'm very curious to see how this works. Now, if I am building an application using a hyperscale cloud provider, I mean, if I'm building a cloud native app, I'm probably going to AWS or GCP or uh, Azure. You know, why, why do I need to use Postman if I'm assuming, again, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm assuming that in their platform, they would have, a, you know, some kind of a software that would do API management over there. What is the benefit for me as a developer to use Postman versus, uh, you know, the, the cloud-native application? Yeah, that's a great question, Anurag. So, you know, most of them are partners as well as, uh, I'd say, users and customers of the product. You know, the big hyperscale providers and other infrastructure companies operate, you know, at the infrastructure layer. So they provide the you know, computers, so you may, you know, which uh, has different components to make sure that your application drops, right? So that includes the runtime, it could include a gateway, load balancer, compute, data, all those capabilities. What is common uh, among all of them uh, is, you know, you need tools like Postman uh, for developers to, you know, design the API, test the API, document the API. You know, there are different capabilities that teams need to make sure that developers can collaborate effectively among themselves or with the wider stakeholders around QA, IT, you know, all these folks who need to make sure that the API, you know, actually works. And, uh, you know, we, we integrate with all these uh, uh, tools that are out there. So we integrate with, you know, the cloud providers, we integrate with APM tools, we integrate with CICD capabilities. So as the API moves through its life cycle, we provide certain distinct capabilities for each stakeholder in the process of building the API, and we integrate with whatever you know other tooling that they use. 
So, you know, Postman is a critical part of that process of building an API. And one analogy that I would give is that, you know, just like the way developers, you know, have to use like an IDE, you know, that's where they write code in, they check code into a repository, and then they use Postman to make sure all things API related are uh, working well. All of that works in conjunction with a broader broader software uh, infrastructure landscape. So perhaps let's get, uh, you know, a little bit deep in the product itself. So if I'm a developer and I sign up with your service, you know, how does it work? Do I buy the entire platform? Do you use per use? Like how, how does the pricing go? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just curious about that part. Yeah, so Postman is designed with a very developer-first uh, mindset, you know, uh, considering all of us uh, who are founders were developers ourselves. So, you know, we like to keep the user experience extremely simple and we like to give quick bursts of value right away, right from the onboarding experience. So the first thing that developers reach out to us for is just making sure that they're debugging or running the API. You know, we have a free product that, you know, developers can get started with in a few seconds. And, you know, they start, you know, running their API calls. We have a desktop application that they can download or we have a, you know, they can try out our web version. Uh, from that point onwards, we only start charging uh, our customers when they find sufficient business value, which typically happens when teams of more than three are collaborating actively on building or using an API. So we have collaborative tools. Uh, we call them workspaces. So just like the way you have code repositories for your code, you have Figma for your design files, you have Confluence or Notion for your docs. Postman acts as a central hub for all your APIs, and that's where you know, we start charging uh, customers if they find value. So it's on a per user per month model. You can start with, you know, as few as you would like, or you can buy, you know, for your entire suite itself uh, for our basic and professional tiers. Uh, so you can just swipe your card and get started. Or you, uh, if you have a large scale deployment, you can buy one of our enterprise offerings and, and scale kind of, you know, uh, on that dimension. Now, you know, we have specific tools and capabilities for enterprise scale API management where we provide governance tools, we provide monitoring tools, we provide test automation tools, and that is really designed for companies who are building APIs at scale as a as a defined business process. And we often find out that developers start, you know, with a pain point that they have, but it often expands into a large business context. And that's that's the point at where we, you know, we see the intersection of a bottom sub sale uh, that has happened with a top down sale that in our sales team does. I know this may sound a very silly uh, question for you, but from what I understand, like, you know, when you have um, GitHub, for example, all the software developers are, you know, saving their code there for their teammates to use or, or for that matter, even you know, somebody else can use. Is your framework very similar to that? Uh, we are complementary, in a way. As we said, right, like GitHub is, is there to manage your code, right? So it's helping you store that code and. APIs are a different abstraction altogether. They're just a different thing, you know? So all things APIs happen in Postman. So you can tell how, how little that I know about it, but but all right. So let's talk a little bit about the market right now. You know, how big is the market currently? How big can it get? Uh, you know, and, and one just in between question is, do you think of the market in terms of dollars or do you think it in terms of developers or both? You know, it's in terms of both, I would say I'm more qualified at this point to share, you know, in terms of developers, you know, so Postman's vision, Anurag, is to get to 100 million builders on the back, right? We have 25 million people, you know, and they include developers. And, you know, we touched upon the question of non-developers as well. 
But if you, you know, look at the world this way that software is a fundamental need for every company out there, whether you are a brick and mortar company or you are a technology company, everybody's building software today. Uh, this is also, I think, you know, a recent change that we have seen that instead of companies offloading software development to, you know, uh, partners, I think they're bringing more and more of these capabilities in-house because that's how they're discovering new business models, they're discovering new lines of revenue. So, you know, the way we can look at it is that every company is going to be a technology company, every company is going to hire developers, and, you know, in, in the broader company, there are going to be many, many people who would be, uh, you know, using APIs or building applications through APIs. So we uh, track more than half a million companies around the world who use Postman. You know, they include all of the Fortune 500. Uh, it includes, you know, all the geos in which, you know, uh, developers are. And, you know, the market is growing. You know, just the sheer number of developers, I believe, if I'm quoting myself, uh, if I'm quoting Gartner, right, like, you know, or, or a bunch of statistics I did, you know, like 30, 25 to 35% is just a growth of developers year over year. And that's continued to, you know, grow over the next 10 years. And then on top of that, what you see, uh, and this is very relevant, uh, maybe we'll get into that is with the growth of generative AI, the friction that existed for non-developers to build applications or business use cases is also uh, reduced quite a bit. And we are, you know, we'll, be, we'll probably get into that with flows and generative AI work that we are doing. But we feel that, you know, we are kind of at an inflection point powered by APIs that many, many more, you know, jobs are going to get created, uh, which are going to look like development jobs, but are fundamentally at a, uh, you know, higher uh, level of abstraction. Yeah, we have seen numbers that, you know, in a couple of years, we'll have a shortage of, I don't know, 3 million developers or something like this. And, you know, we also cover uh, ServiceNow and they have been pushing quite a bit about their, you know, software development platform, low code, no code. And we actually did some podcast with a company that does low-code, no-code work. And, you know, almost all the entire ecosystem wants to figure out a way to build applications in a much faster way, in a much easier way. Um, you know, how do you, um, you know, tie into uh, the this entire low-code, no-code ecosystem? Yeah, so we are very excited about the potential of low-code and no-code. You know, first, we saw in our data and ROG very early on that while developers were the primary, you know, audience for Postman, uh, we also had a lot of non-developers using the product from, you know, its very early days. You know, in, in some ways, Postman uh, replaced the need for developers to write code to interact with APIs, and that we found out became a very important use case for non-developers. So this includes product managers, marketing people, rev ops, sales ops, anything with an ops in it, you know, basically people are combining SaaS applications together. And, you know, the way, you know, simple heuristic is that the, whenever, whenever you hear no-code, low-code SaaS, it's on APIs one layer below. You know, what companies typically kind of hide away the fact sometimes is that, you know, it's all powered by APIs, you know. And uh, what, uh, what we are seeing is that, you know, people are not just satisfied with a few APIs that uh, are available in a specific ecosystem. So you could take the Microsoft ecosystem, or the AWS ecosystem, any or take the Salesforce ecosystem for that matter. For you know today's needs, you need these ecosystems to talk to each other, and that's why we believe that you know all these APIs uh, need to be easily available and easily accessible for developers as well as you know, uh, non-developers or builders, as we call it. 
So, you know, one very exciting thing that we're doing in this area is, uh, you know, called the Postman Public Network. So you could, you know, anyone could go to postman.com and browse the hundreds of thousands of uh, collections of APIs that are available there. And we have companies like Salesforce, Stripe, Meta, PayPal, you know, uh, all of them are publishing their APIs on the Postman platform to make it easier for, you know, this uh, new crop of uh, developers to access them easily and then build stuff on top of it. Now, what we also saw was that, you know, while accessing APIs was good enough, people wanted more. So we also launched uh, our uh, no-code uh, app, uh, application composer, if you may call it. You know, it's also called Flows. And what you can do is really drag drop APIs into this infinite canvas, connect those APIs together, and, and deploy them actually as a finished application, all using the Postman platform. So our vision is that, you know, a, a, a platform, uh, you know, like Postman, needs to work uh, in conjunction with all of the world's APIs. You know, there are going to be millions and billions of APIs out there. And, you know, they're all going to be specialized. Like if you are in India, you need, you know, specific payment APIs like UPI. If you're in Europe, you need specific banking APIs. You know, we know of companies who are customizing their solutions for voice and messaging in each of these geos. So the world of APIs, you know, it's going to continue to grow. And, and that's where we believe we play a very central role in providing the platform and providing the tools for the next generation of developers. No, that, that's very interesting. Perhaps, uh, you know, dive a little bit in the competitive landscape into, you know, what other companies that are out there. And if you don't want to name them, that's fine too. But what really differentiates you against your uh, rivals is this what my big one is. You know, the primary competition, you know, in Rug, we see mostly in large companies. So there are a bunch of open source tools. I mean, there are small tools that have come up, you know, a lot of them, you know, have a lot of traction, but then they kind of go away. So we don't really see them as competition. More often than not, for the platform that we sell, we see homegrown tools as the primary competition in large enterprises. You know, APIs have been a key need, in some cases have been a key superpower for a, most, for, for a lot of companies. And what they'd been doing was they're investing hundreds of millions of dollars over the last decade to make sure that all these APIs are managed and work, uh, are working well. And now when we go to these organizations, we find out that that infrastructure is kind of creaking, it's not differentiated, and it's falling behind. So that's the stuff that we replace, and we are able to replace that very effectively because we have already entered the organization thanks to developers who are using the product. So we, yeah, you know, we we kind of consolidate the different, uh, you know, design tools or governance tools. We integrate with their infrastructure and really give a comprehensive offering to an enterprise CIO or a CTO. And the infrastructure providers, again, you know, we we offer integrations you know, that, that can keep their existing investments, uh, you know, valuable for a while, but more often than not, customers move into Postman wholesale. Postman is the, you know, fastest growing, uh, you know, developer tool on the planet right now, thanks to a recent Okta report, you know, by number of users, by number of customers. We, you know, really, I don't know the number is exact, but, you know, we uh, we are probably bigger than the next 10 API, you know, development tools combined. So we are far bigger than, you know, most of the competition that exists. Uh, that's, that's a good point. Now, perhaps, you know, most of the software companies we cover, the pandemic really changed the business in the way, you know, they do stuff. Did that happen to you? Uh, did you see a massive pull forward of demand? And, you know, has things changed since then? Yeah, so I think we have more data now. So I guess, you know, from a pandemic perspective, I don't think, Core developer behavior 
And and the core need of APIs did get accelerated a little bit because a lot of companies were looking at how to sell digitally. You know, they they had these digital transformation initiatives going on. They had modernization initiatives going on, and it you know shed some light on the way companies were doing business. So if you're solely like a brick and mortar in person, you know, business, now you're looking at digital channels, right? So like, okay, how am I selling online? How am I, you know, interacting uh, online? And also it had an impact on the workplace where people were like, how am I collaborating? How am I building, you know, whatever I'm building today? So we definitely, you know, saw uh, an impact, uh, at least in the nature of how companies think about uh, technology investments. And I believe that, you know, it's going to continue to persist. Like, we're not going to go back on that. Uh, but I think we are not exactly like a collaboration product, like, you know, uh, video conferencing or messaging. So we are not, we didn't really see that spike. We saw more steady growth that still kind of continues. And uh, I think, you know, we did see that we were, you know, beneficiaries of uh, a lot of hiring that was taking place. Like every company was hiring, startups were hiring, you know, big companies were hiring. And in the current macroeconomic environment, uh, it's a little less so. So that's kind of like yeah. the effect we see in our data. Yeah, I was just coming to that. This is probably a first big recession in uh, in your existence. How are you handling? We are we are technically not in recession, but let's say slow down. But but you know, how is your team handling it? Especially because I think, as you mentioned, you know, your core audience of developers all over the world is is uh, at least at least in the U.S. tech, I should say, not not all over the world, is having a slowdown. And yet, on the industrial side, there is a massive shortage of it. So, so you know, tell me a little bit about dynamics as to what are the macro wins that you are seeing. Yes, so I, I mean, I look at it as you know calibration, right? Like people are reflecting on you know their cloud spend, they're reflecting on their monitoring spend. They're like, you know, everybody had a free for all lunch for every single thing out there. And you know what? In some ways, what you know, we actually help companies do is build a better architecture. You know, think about investments that you've done, right? You probably don't need like, you know, uh, 1,000 microservices if you have 100 developers, for example. You know, you probably need like 50, right? You don't need to go and buy like every single piece of technology out there and, you know, pay on consumption pricing all the time. So we feel actually it's good in a way that people will have a solid look at their cloud spend, they will have a solid look at their architectures, and then, you know, that's the calibration that's happening, I think, across the board. That's that's what we see. You know, on the long-term horizon, everybody's going to build software. Everybody needs more developers. And I don't think that's going to change. Uh, you know, what I think what has done for us in some ways is, you know, we actually see uh, uh, more enterprise conversations now than last year. You know, because there is uh, lesser noise. You know, people are not uh, buying like tools. A lot of customers are coming to us saying that they want to replace like five, six tools and, you know, Postman uh, is well established on that front. So I think, you know, on the global macro side, what is interesting is, uh, again, hiring trends, like developers are in demand, but people are being more conscious of how they want to hire. Startups are very much affected, you know, like I think people are trying to look at the window at which they can raise money and whether it makes sense to hire like 100 more or should I just work with 10 more. But I think, you know, from a technology standpoint, I think companies are really realizing that, you know, they're spending a lot of money in a lot of areas where they shouldn't be spending money yeah, no, I'm with you. Listen, I'm a big digital bull, so so I'm I'm in the same boat as you do. But you know, it gets tough for me to kind of defend a lot of the cloud companies. Uh, you know, when they report, and I have to go on TV talk about it. It's it's just been a very interesting last 
six to nine months for me. But anyway, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the favorite topic that is on every mind and it gets annoying to me at times is, and that's AI and generative AI. So so teach us a little bit. And I'm assuming AI essentially means a shitload of more API, you know, calls going on and just all over the place. So, so perhaps, uh, you know, do a little deep dive for us, teach us uh, how, how that shapes up. Yeah, that's, that's very exciting. And we have been, you know, uh, like just before this call, I was seeing a demo of a very exciting, you know, product that we are building. And I'm guessing by the time this podcast is out, the news is going to be out. So we can talk a little bit about that if we have time. But I think, you know, more broadly, uh, as I understand it, you know, as, as a developer and, uh, and as a CEO, you know, I think at this point in time, again, every time there has been any news of AI, the hype scales much faster than the reality. And, you know, we end up talking about the singularity, about all these like autonomous agents running around, taking people's jobs and not, you know, I'm not a believer in any of that. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. Maybe there's a new technology, maybe, you know, it's going to happen, but 10 years, 20 years aside, right? Like the futurist view aside. Uh, you know, the way I look at it right now, Anurag, is that it's afforded, again, software to build new kinds of experiences for which definitely there's going to be a lot of demand. You know, so we, you know, computing kind of changed when we could carry a computer in our pocket, and now we were finding new ways of interacting, you know, with uh, with computers. And I think the same way, you know, AI-driven interfaces have that, you know, kind of early sign. I don't know how far it's going to go. You know, is it going to result in, you know, just me shopping online or searching on online fundamentally through these AI-driven bots? But I definitely see that you know, for accessing information, whether it's within the enterprise or outside the enterprise, is going to have a big change. What AI is fed, oh, how generative AI has come into existence is basically through, you know, lots and lots and lots of data. So uh, all data that is, you know, publicly available and, and everyone can consume will result in commoditized models that, uh, you know, are accessible to all of us. I think where the value would go into is... Uh, data that is unique to each organization. And, uh, you know, our view is that companies should take a hard look at the data that they're exposing and really create, you know, uh, APIs for that, right? If you don't have APIs and somebody's going to, you know, suck up that data and, and you know, take over all the value. Uh, Can I ask just something yeah. in between that is just in that same framework? If I'm building something like this and the number of signals keep on going, will it just kill my compute cost? Will it just, you know, yeah, you know, in a sense, because you're now running everything in, you know, in a very fast way and you're sending signals back and forth, will my just computing cost uh, go uh, haywire? Not really. Like, you know, there are lots of techniques to really design experiences well. So if you're talking specifically about AI compute driven by APIs, you know, we, you often find ways to build better digital experiences. I think the core thing that people haven't figured out is the right business model like how valuable this thing is, you know, should I be charging a customer like $100 per user per month or $10 per user per month? Because that, you know, once you know the demand for the value of the experience, you can easily, you know, build the technology around it. So I don't think that's that's more of an issue. You know, a single API call, if, if I remember right, right, S3's cost has come down like so much, you know, like you thought like, okay, storing a file cost, let's say, you know, uh, for $1, I could store 1,000 files, maybe for $1 now I can store 10,000, 100,000 files. Right, so yeah. I think it's yeah. the demand equation that will drive technology, and then the costs are going to come down. 
Yeah, that, that's when I've been telling people that, you know, you got to understand the philosophy of how AWS works. And then I think a lot of people don't get it. Virtual reality. This is another topic I wanted to spend a few minutes with uh, you on. You mentioned, you know, when you first started, there was something that uh, you worked on. And we are all, you know, waiting next month or the month after for Apple to finally announce the, you know, the product they've been working on. And, you know, whenever Apple does something, it does open up the ecosystem pretty rapidly. So far, I think it's a very niche area. The, you know, the ecosystem is also not developed. You know, I would love to hear your thoughts about how you think that's going to develop because um, I don't have a good framework of it. And I'm glad uh, you are. So, you know, I'm, I don't know what Apple is releasing. I don't think any of us know what Apple is releasing. You know, I, you know everything that I have in life is basically Apple at this point, except, you know, my gaming gear. So I think I've been a big fan of the PSVR 2. And Anurag, that changed my view on virtual reality, like inside out. Like I think gaming on the PSVR 2, you know, I, I played this game Horizon uh, Zero Dawn and uh, I think it's, it's forgetting the exact name for it. I'm a gamer, you know, I have, you know, I try out a lot of things uh, and, you know, I have the Switch, I have the Xbox and the PSVR 2 and I tried the first version of the PSVR, I tried Oculus, you know, I uh, have applied on the virtual reality gear. But I hit upon the PSVR 2, thanks to a friend's recommendation. And uh, I was like, okay, it's crackable. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. What I think is not clear are like the applications of it. You know, when we were building, you know, we were a bit too early. We tried to simulate, you know, virtual reality by looking through it. Or, or I'd say augmented reality. You know, so like things that are put on the world for you. And Honestly, I don't think we got a lot of uptake and I have not seen other anything other than Pokemon Go, for example, to be a mass phenomenon. You know, like it's a fun game. And outside of that, I feel like immersive experiences, which are designed well, you know, like on the on the PlayStation have been the best so far that I've tried. And I'm, I'm you know, uh, Apple, anything Apple does, like, you know, it's going to you know start with, you know, the end experience in mind you know, versus all the other stuff. So I would be very bullish on it. If you had asked me like this question, like six months ago, I would be like, I don't believe it. I get motion sick and I don't want to use any of this because that's what had like basically happened to me till till every single thing that I tried. But on the PSVR 2, I, I really felt like, okay, this can actually happen. So from let's talk about it from an API point of view that obviously a new ecosystem will come and people have to build applications for it. Compared to a normal application, is a, an application that's built on the VR technology or even AR technology, is it 10 times bigger, five times bigger? Like, you know, because you're going to get a lot more, like it calls in and out for something like this. You know, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, my belief is that any form of computing requires, you know, API. So if you take augmented reality, for example, let's imagine a world, right, where everybody who has a physical job, right, it's where the construction sites, you know, or be more futuristic, like just don't wait to have, you know, VR lenses. All of that requires data to be present, you know, and, and computing is going to help me more where I don't have to look down at my phone, you know, to access what's going on. It's just overlaid in front of me. And all of that basically means API calls and APIs that have to be designed, you know, for all of that to work. And the same, I think, applies to a VR. When I would say the one thing I have been more of a bear on has been like crypto and, and Web3, you know, I don't think yet 
the technology is there and there was this whole wave of like, you know, NFTs and blockchains, which by the way, we have all conveniently forgotten because of the AI stuff. Maybe it's there somewhere, maybe some startup is really working on making that happen. But for a while, there was this belief and maybe some of that is still there that Web3 is going to replace, you know, the world of APIs. I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe it's going to take another couple of technology cycles. But I think VR coupled with, you know, uh, real-time data for, you know, enterprise uh, use cases is, is a very real futuristic scenario that we could imagine. And in the very short term, you know, what we are seeing is gaming companies are big customers of Boston, you know, like, uh, you know, your games today require collaborative, you know, collaborative gaming is huge. You know, if you see like Fortnite, you see Roblox, you see how people game today versus like 10 years ago, like all games are, you know, primarily, you know, the biggest games are collaborative experiences that require, uh, you know, people to really, you know, uh, talk to each other through computers and all of that is powered by APIs. So I think I, I feel that it's going to continue in the future as well in a big way. And how that is very exciting. I, I have similar views on Web3, but we'll leave that for another day. And I was just thinking, I hope your investors don't listen to this call and see how much time you're spending gaming. But perhaps my last question, and this has been a very exciting discussion, uh, you know, um, my last question would be, you know, let's say a year from now when we sit down and then pick up this topic again, you know, what are the, some of the things that, you know, you predict is going to happen both in the API economy or just, you know, anything in general? would love to hear that. I don't have a crystal ball and I have a very conservative uh, prediction on that, right? So I, I believe actually more in sustained innovation that just becomes, you know, such a big part of the fabric of reality that we don't even see it. Though I think what typically people look for when they ask this question is like, what is the big bang invention that's going to come next? So, you know, take my predictions with a pinch of salt. I think specifically for APIs, uh, what we are seeing is, you know, more and more business models are going to evolve to be API first. You know, consistently, that traditional brick and mortar companies and non-technology companies are opening up their platforms. They're making, you know, entire supply chains programmable. They're making their entire banking structure programmable. And that will, you know, we, we serve developers. And what we like to look for is, you know, fundamental, you know, new innovations that they create, you know, through through these APIs. So I feel like, you know, so far what we have seen is then you cover all the big tech companies, you know, typically a lot of innovation comes from there. But what I'm, you know, bullish on is just democratizing of, you know, new innovation that happens, you know, across the world. Now, that's excellent. Abhita. Thank you so much. It's been an exciting discussion and uh, we look forward to having you again a year from now. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun.